Our scripture lesson this morning is going to come out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a prayer that Paul had shared with the Ephesian church, with those believers, brothers and sisters there. As we begin reading his word, let me share with you what I haven't shared for a while, that we believe this uh, this book, this Bible, to be God's word of truth. We believe it to be inspired by God. We believe it to be the only infallible way of faith and practice. Uniquely and fully born by the Holy Spirit. So we need to know what it says. We really do. Hear what Paul says now. Out of Ephesians chapter 1, I'll start reading in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray a moment. Heavenly Father, it is is your Holy Spirit who is our teacher. And we pray so this morning. That as your word promises, he would convince us, he would convict us. And most importantly, Lord, he would change us. He would change us just that one tiny bit into the image of, of you into your image so that we might be the kind of people and be able to do the kind of things that you've called us to be. Oh God, minister your grace to us as we gather around your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, for the follower of Jesus, the first step in in understanding who we are, who you are, who I am, is understanding who God is, who Jesus is. It's a, it's a fundamental tr- truth that, that you won't have the kind of, of walk with God that you want and need to have if your head is full of all sorts of misconceptions about who Jesus is, what He does. In order to fully experience God, 
you and I must come to know him and know him in, in as intimate way as possible. And Paul understood this really well. And that's why in this, this second half of Ephesians 1, he, he prays for the, the Christians at Ephesus and for us that we would be spiritually enlightened with who Jesus is. Verse 16, 17 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. When you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you did, you did more than just agree to live by a new code of conduct. You became somehow permanently connected to the source above all sources, to the authority above all authorities, to the name above all names. You see, Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just our teacher. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He's not just powerful. He is all-powerful. He's not just wise. He is all-knowing. He's not just loving. He is all-loving. You know, we're, we're often held back by a limited view of who God is. It's impossible to rise above your situation if you're not fully convinced that God is bigger than your situation. It's impossible to experience power over, over darkness in your life, that, that darkness of fear and doubt and, and pain and sin, if you're not fully convinced that God has power over darkness. He's able to deliver you from it. It's impossible to experience the abundant life if you're not fully convinced that Jesus came to give us an abundant life, a life to the full. You know, if you want to experience this, this fullness of God, get to know Jesus. That's how you do it. That's why Paul prayed this prayer. That's why God was, was hearing, he was appealing to God to give us a spirit of wisdom and of knowledge. Wisdom and a revelation of who He is. We need to know Him. And more specifically, Paul mentions some, some key areas that we need to know about Him. If we really, really know Him. One of those areas is we need to understand His power. Paul said that Jesus has power over death in verse 20. One thing that no man can conquer, death. Jesus did, though, didn't he? Jesus conquered death. The resurrection is the greatest miracle of all. Because not only does it prove that Jesus is who he said he is, it proves that he has the power that no one else has. Whatever forces are wrecking havoc in our life, remember that there is an ultimate power. And remember who that ultimate power is. The world about us can't control death. The world about us can't control life. We can't control life. We can't control death. But Jesus can. Only Jesus can. He's the ultimate power. 
He's the ultimate power in all the universe. And that means he's more powerful than any other force. He's more powerful than any other person, any other presence, anything. He's overall. Our enemies are no match for his power. Disease is no match for his power. Problems that we seem that seem like they're insurmountable, no match for his power. Sin, no match for his power. He has the power to conquer death, and through him, you and I have the power to conquer life. We need to believe that. There's another area about, about Jesus that Paul underlined, and that was to understand the position of Jesus. In other words, where he is in the big scheme of things. Paul said that Jesus has been seated, seated at the Father's right hand in heavenly realms. He's up there. He's, he's at the Father's right hand. Now, the right hand represents a position of power, a special place of honor. The New Living Translation represents that special place by, by translating that verse, seated in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. We have a president once, Calvin Coolidge, who once said, no person was ever honored for what he received. Honor is given as a reward for what he gave. Now think about that. Pretty true. With Jesus, we see that, that he gave all. He gave everything. Everything there was to give. He gave his life. The Bible says about Jesus in Philippians 2.6, who, who being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him and to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. You see, Jesus could demand our honor because of who he is. Instead, he chose to earn our honor because of what he did. If we truly know him, we can't possibly refuse Him a rightful place in our life. Those who don't honor Jesus don't worship. They don't praise Him. They simply don't know who He is. Paul, Paul prays that we would know. Paul prays that we would understand His power, that we would understand His honor, His place of honor. And Paul also would pray that we would understand his authority. Paul says, God was placed, Christ, in verse 21, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present day age, but in the age to come. Every authority, every ruler, every power must ultimately submit to Jesus. The book of Philippians again says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, every knee will bow before him. Ultimately, everyone will call him Lord. That's authority. To more fear, fully experience the, the presence of God, you and I must first know who Jesus is. And specifically, Paul says, understanding His power. Understanding His authority. Understanding His honor. But there's a second part of this prayer. There's a second part to, to living and experiencing the reality of God in our lives, of finding our place in, in His kingdom. And that is knowing who we are. When we know Jesus, when we have the spirit of wisdom, of the revelation in knowledge of Him, as Paul phrased it, then we can be, begin to make a, a more sense, a closer sense of who we are in Him. Paul says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart would be open, would be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Now, I don't know what God has in store for you. I really don't know all that God has in store for me or our church together. But I know this, it's good. It's good because it's God. He guarantees it. We, we may not feel the presence and goodness in all of our situations, but He's there. He's there. He never forsakes us or leaves us. In the, in the middle of a crisis, God will get us through. Facing opposition, God will give us victory. Already lost so many battles, God will turn the curse into a blessing. That's what He does. We're in pain. We're hurting. God will never leave us. Never. He will be there to give you strength. He will be there to give you encouragement. He will be there to, to lift your head to overcome every challenge and every setback. That's the hope. That's the hope that Paul's praying that we know. It's our future. Our future. Those unseen tomorrows right into eternity. God has prepared a wonderful future for you and for me. Why do we know that? Because your future and my future is His future. Notice how Paul continues, verse 18, that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. That's the first part. The riches of His glorious inheritance <coughs> in the saints. You know, I, I recently noticed something that I hadn't, hadn't really known before, hadn't noticed before, even though several commentaries pointed out about every one of them, but sometimes I don't pay attention. This word inheritance, it refers to the Father's inheritance. Not ours. That's the hope. 
It's not about us. It's about God. It's about Him. I used to read and think that, that Paul was referring to all the good things that we would inherit from God. Heaven, forgiveness, salvation, so on. Now, Paul isn't talking about what we will inherit. He's talking about what God will inherit. God will inherit us. And I know you're sitting there saying, oh, that's not so good. But it's exactly what he wants. God wants you and me. He wants his redeemed. He wants his church. He wants all who believe. And he wants it badly. Bad enough to come into this world and die on a cross so that he can have us. The hope to which you and I have been called is for us to be God's inheritance, his precious possession, to be treasured throughout all eternity. That's what God's people mean to him. This is who we are. You are in Christ. But there's more. There's a second part even to this. Second part to, to this hope that Paul is praying that, that God would give us eyes to see. And not only are we God's precious possession from now into eternity, not only are we His inheritance but our hope is also to know, to experience in our present life His incomparable great power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. You hear that? You believe that? That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is, is yours, is mine, is ours? Paul said, for us who believe, do we believe? As his followers, we should be living, we should be experiencing this power of God. Not, not just a hope so, not just a I think, or not just a wish. Experiencing the power of God. If you need God's power to do right, it's yours. If you need God's power to be holy, it's yours. If you need God's power to overcome sin, it's yours. If you need God's power to do His work or His will, it's yours. It's there. It's not somewhere hidden. It's not something that you have to work for. It is your inheritance. You're part of His inheritance. God, please open our eyes to realize our inheritance, what we have. We need to trust and believe who we really are our calling to be beneficiaries of God's power in our life. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's how we're going to make it through in victory. That's how we're going to find abundance, fullness in this life. That's how we're going to be overcomers, more than conquerors, as Paul calls us. That is our strength and our shield. When we talk about being like Christ, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. How do you think you're going to be like Christ without the power of God making it so? We have for us, Paul says, the incomparably 
great power of God. Now, does that mean if we do this thing right, then we should never suffer? That we should never make any mistakes? Well, you know that's not true. What it means is that as we journey between faith and fact, between profession and glorification, we will for sure endure many trials and many mistakes and know our share of suffering and our share of pain. And precisely because of that, we are going to be a radiant example, a testimony, if you would, of God's great power. Because His power gets us through all of that. His power gets us over all that. His power makes us shine through that. God's power didn't save Joseph from prison in, in Genesis, but God's power got him through prison. And through that power, Joseph rose to prominence in Egypt and his family was restored and saved. God's power didn't prevent Moses from spending years in exile in Midian. But through God's power, Moses was able to stand up to Pharaoh and lead God's people out of Egypt. God's power didn't prevent Jairus' daughter from dying. But through God's power, she was raised to life. God's power didn't prevent Bartimaeus from, from being born blind. But through God's power, his sight was restored. And what a testimony all of those things are. God's power didn't prevent Paul and Silas from being beaten and thrown into jail. But through God's power, the chains were broken, weren't they? And salvation came to the whole house of that Philippian jailer. God's power didn't prevent Jesus from being mocked and ridiculed and scorned, beaten, and crucified, killed, dead. But it gave him the strength to overcome every sin of the world. And as a proof, it raised him up from the dead. God's immeasurably great power isn't to prevent us from difficulties. It's to exalt us through them for His glory. That's our testimony. And that's our witness. And that's our place in His kingdom. Know who you are. You are God's treasured possession. His inheritance. But you're also vessels of His awesome, life-changing power. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Our life, your life, my life, between now and heaven is a living testimony of the presence of God in us. Sometimes we're going to struggle finding our place in this world. How should we represent Him? What, what should we be doing? What should I be doing? Finding out just where we stand in His kingdom. The result is our life when we're, is our life when we're caught up in all that kind of struggle is not going to be joyful. It's not going to be hopeful. It's not going to be peaceful. Far from it. The abundance of, of God's Word promises, God's Word and His promises are going to seem meager at best. We're going to struggle. Paul poured out his heart to God for these Ephesian brothers and sisters and, and for us as well. Because he knows if we get caught into that struggle, how easy it is to get stuck in mediocrity of everyday living, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not. He also knew how often we accept as our place in faith 
not where God wants us, but where we just seem to fall. Paul in his prayer shows us where God wants to take us, where he wants us to be. And we begin by knowing who Jesus is, by knowing his power, by knowing his honor, his position, by knowing his authority. And, and then in light of that knowledge, who we are in him, that we're his precious possession, his inheritance. We're vessels, earthen vessels, as Paul would say in Corinthians 5, earthen vessels of his incomparably great power. Power that will change us from the inside out and power that will literally transform our world and those we touch around us in his name. That's who we are. That's what we're supposed to be about as individual believers, 